This podcast is a ministry of Rosemont Baptist Church in LaGrange, Georgia. Please visit us on the web at rosemontchurch.org. Enjoy the podcast and God bless. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for uh, the opportunity to study your word, Lord. We thank you for the opportunity to open the text of Scripture. I pray that as we spend the time this morning to, to look at what you've shown us, I pray you would give us clarity of thought and understanding. And I pray, Lord, we would leave here transformed, change more into the image of your Son, Jesus Christ. It's in his precious name that we pray. Amen. I'll never forget September of 1990. I was a senior in, in high school. And for several months leading up to that period, the International Olympic Committee had debated and deliberated about which city they would award the 1996 Olympics to. Now, several cities that had kind of put a bid in. Athens, Greece was kind of the favorite. It had been 100 years since the modern games had started in 1896. And most people thought that Athens or maybe one of the other cities of the world would be awarded the games. But Atlanta kind of threw their name into the hat for for the games. And I'll never forget that morning. I stayed home. I was late to school. I was, you know, such a cool senior. I wanted to stay home and see the announcement of the Olympic Games. I'll go figure that, right? And so I'm sitting at home with, with my mom <laughs> on the couch. And I'll never forget. I hear the snickering. I hear the snickering. I went and looked up the date. It's September the 18th, 1990. The president of the International Olympic Committee said this. He said, the International Olympic Committee has awarded the 1996 Olympic Games to the city of Atlanta. Now, at that moment, for that city, that may have been the most important announcement of all time. That was huge for the city. I mean, economists estimate that billions and billions and billions of dollars ultimately poured into Atlanta's economy simply because of the 1996 Olympic Games. People from around the world literally came to be a part of that ceremony. It's interesting when you, when you kind of study throughout history important announcements, usually big announcements come on grand scales. I think about the announcement of Paul Revere in April of 1775 that the British were coming. We all know the story, right? That was an important announcement. I think about Franklin Delano Roosevelt's announcement on December the 8th, 1941, the day after Pearl Harbor, that America had declared war on Japan. He made that announcement before before a joint session of Congress. You can watch that video on YouTube. It's, It's a very important announcement in the history of our country. Martin Luther King Jr. in August of 1963 made the announcement on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial of his dream of freedom for every race and for every color. Big announcements are usually made on grand scales, but not all announcements. Some announcements are made in the, in the quietness of our hearts and quiet, reserved tones. And the announcement from the angel Gabriel to Mary that she would give birth to a son and call him Jesus passed with absolutely no recognition from the outside world. Possibly the most important announcement ever given to humanity was known only to Mary. And Luke chapter 2 tells us in those incredibly profound words that she pondered these things in her heart. You see, for thousands of years, God had been showing us this picture. In the Old Testament, we've been studying the prophecies leading 
up to and looking ahead to the future Messiah. And we've kind of seen it as a, as a puzzle. We're taking all these pieces and we're putting these puzzle pieces together slowly but surely to, to build this picture of Messiah. We studied last week in Galatians 4. The Bible says that when the time had fully come, God sent his son. And so we're going to examine this morning the announcement from the angel Gabriel to Mary about the birth of her son, Jesus. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to open to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. The New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke. Now as you're flipping to Luke chapter 1, we're going to, be, we're going to begin this morning in verse 27. I want you to understand something about this profound announcement. I want you to understand something about this announcement that the angel Gabriel made to Mary. I want you to see that it was certainly an announcement of the birth of her son, and it was certainly important to Mary, and it was certainly important to Joseph. But more than simply the announcement of the birth of a child, it was the announcement of God's plan to redeem his people back to himself. You need to understand that. It's the culmination of thousands of years worth of prophecy, worth of hopes, worth of dreams. And so when Gabriel made this announcement to Mary, it was certainly important for her. But I think we're going to see, and I think we need to understand as we study this passage this morning, that the announcement he made to Gabriel, the the, the announcement that Gabriel made to Mary, not only applied to her life then in the first century, but it still applies to our lives today. So let's examine together Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 26. Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 26. In the sixth month, Gabriel, excuse me, in the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin placed to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. Now let's stop there just for a second because there's some truths I want to pull out of the next several verses. And there's some things I want you to understand about the announcement that he made to Mary, but there's some things I want you to understand about your life now. And there's some things I think that are important and intended for us all still today. And here's the first truth I want you to see. The announcement that Gabriel made to Mary was, first of all, a fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. That's very important for us to understand. The announcement that Gabriel made to Mary was, first of all, a fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. Now, we've been talking for a lot of weeks about the Old Testament. And we've been building this picture of exactly who Jesus Christ was going to be and exactly what he was going to look like. But something very interesting happens at the end of the Old Testament. If you were to look at the end of the Old Testament, the book of Malachi is the final book. Malachi was a prophet. And it was written about 400 years, 430 years before the birth of Jesus Christ. Now, when the book of Malachi was completed, when Malachi finished prophesying, when he ends what he's saying, when the Lord finishes giving him words of wisdom, at that point forward, it's going to be 400 years before the New Testament is written. So we have 400 years of silence, 400 years of nothing from the Lord, no revelation, no prophecy, no books have been written, nothing has been added to Scripture until we come to this point in Luke, we come to this point where God is going to announce through his angel Gabriel the birth of his son. Now it's interesting because Luke chapter 1 is is just filled with Old Testament prophecy. We've done, uh, uh, over the last many weeks, a a lot of hard work in connecting the Old Testament to the New Testament. And I've been talking about these points of connection. We kind of draw this circle around this verse in the Old Testament, and we can draw a line directly to the New Testament and see its prophecy and see how that prophecy was fulfilled. But this morning, we're going to kind of look the opposite direction. We're going to look in Luke chapter 1, and we're going to see all the things about Christ and who he was, and we're going to tie those in to the Old Testament prophecies that we've seen for the last several weeks. So, so I want to take a look at Luke 
chapter 1, verse 26 and 27 point out three specific areas of prophecy that, that are fulfilled in Christ. You may remember a few weeks ago we studied Isaiah chapter 9. And Isaiah chapter 9 is an incredible picture of who Christ was going to be. And, and, and so we, we read in Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 and 2, and I don't want you to flip back, but I want you to listen to the, to the geographic clue of exactly where Christ was going to be. So Isaiah 9, 1 says this. Now remember, Isaiah written 700 years before the birth of Christ. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. And you may remember we talked about those being the northern portion of the kingdom of Israel. But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the Gentiles. That's important for you to remember. By the way of the sea along the Jordan. The people walking in the darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. So Isaiah 9 talks about Galilee. It talks about how Galilee will be blessed and a light will dawn. And then we read in Luke chapter 1, verse 26. In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee. Now you may remember that Jesus lived in Nazareth. He grew up in Nazareth. He did the majority of his ministry around that area, around the Sea of Galilee. So we see this, this picture in Luke chapter 1, 26 of a fulfillment of Isaiah 9, the prophecy in the Old Testament of Christ. But the connection gets stronger in verse 27. So Gabriel has, has come to Nazareth, to a town of Galilee, and verse 27 says this, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. Now, now there are two things about Mary that we notice in, in verse 27. The first one is the Bible says that Mary is a virgin. Now, I had the opportunity when I, when I started thinking through this sermon series of the great story a few months ago to kind of sit down and kind of map out how I wanted to teach through this. And the, the problem I had is I tried to figure out the stories of the Old Testament that I wanted to highlight and preach on is that I had a limited amount of time. If you go back and really begin to study the Old Testament, there are something like 150 prophecies of Christ in the Old Testament. Now, I can't literally preach 150 sermons on the Old Testament prophecies of Christ. So I started having to whittle away and, and pick some of the big ones and, and ones that I thought would help us connect and help us see very clearly exactly who Jesus was going to be. But one of the passages of Scripture that I could not choose was in Isaiah chapter 7. To me, it's, it's one of the clearer pictures, and it, 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 it shows itself here in Luke chapter 1, verse 27. Now, remember, Luke 1, 27 talks about Mary as being a virgin. I want to read for you Isaiah chapter 7. Verse 14, written 700 years before the birth of Christ. Here's what Isaiah 7, 14 says. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Now, here's the sign the Lord's going to give you. Now, we're 700 years before the birth of Christ. Isaiah 7, 14, the Lord will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. <laughs> now, Emmanuel means God with us. So we see this picture already of this young girl who's going to give birth to this child. The child's name is going to be Jesus, and they're going to call him Emmanuel. Now, it's interesting to me because this portion of the Christmas story, the virgin birth, is, is probably the area that's attacked the most by unbelievers. And they, they look at this account of Mary, and they say, well, how could that be? That's fictional, right? I mean, there's no way you can actually believe that that's true. There's, there's no reason for us to think that it actually happened like this. And I think what happens as believers is, is when we come in conflict with, with something like that, we, we come up against the world that wants to argue against this supernatural birth, our inclination is to say something like this. You know what? You're right. <laughs> it's not worth fighting over, really. The virgin birth is not that important. What's really important is, is, is Jesus, right? And who Jesus would be and what Jesus would accomplish and all that Jesus would do for us. But I want to point out a couple things 
that'll help you understand why, why, why clinging to and understanding this virgin birth is so important in our theology and our understanding of Christ. Number one, it's important because it's in the text. <laughs> we, we just can't ignore it. We can't take the words of God. If we believe that the, God is, the word of God is the inspired and errant, infallible word, and that it's truth and it's what God has given us to reveal himself to us, if we believe those things and we cling to those things, and we can't just set it aside. It's in the text. We can't just ignore it. But, but I think the virgin birth points to some significant things, some things that are, that are important to us and help us better understand who Christ is and who Christ was and what he accomplished for us. One of the things it does is it points to the miraculous I mean, right off the bat, we read of this account of the story of who Jesus is going to be. And we see this is not going to be an ordinary birth. This is not like any birth that has taken place before. This is not like any birth that has taken place after. This is an incredible miracle. It's miraculous. We can't say anything other than this is of God, right? We can't explain it any other way. We, we can't make sense of it in our finite minds. But what we see very clearly that it shows the glory and the majesty of who God was. The other reason this is important is because we have to understand that as sinful people, we could not produce the Redeemer that would save us from our sins. Do you understand that? As human beings, we didn't have the capacity to, to produce something that could save us from our own sins. That had to come from God. The beautiful thing about this, this, this union of the Holy Spirit and Mary is something that we'll never fully understand on this earth. But it points to the, the full divinity of Christ and the full, full humanity of Christ. So we would argue that Jesus is fully God, and yet at the same time, he's fully human. You say, okay, I get that. He's, he's you know, 50% God and, and 50% human. No, that's not, that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that he was 100% God, and he was 100% man. You say, well, I, I don't really understand how that's possible. Well, I don't understand it either. But it's the clear teaching of Scripture. It's exactly who Christ was. And so, so we see the, these, these prophecies being fulfilled kind of before our eyes in, in Luke 1, verse 26 and 27. We, we see the location of Galilee. We see the virgin birth. We see the importance of the virgin birth. But look, at, look at the end of verse 27. Maybe the most important part of this scripture. The Bible says that he came to the virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph who was a descendant of David. Now we've made the point as we study through the Old Testament over and over and over again to see that Christ is going to come from the house and the line of David. We can't emphasize that enough. In fact, if you were to go back and read in Matthew chapter 1 the genealogy of who Christ was, we can kind of draw this line, and we've talked about this line all through this study. We can kind of draw this line from Adam to Abraham, from Abraham to David, and from David to Christ. So, so the, the Old Testament paints this picture that Christ is going to come from the house of David. Matthew 1 goes to great lengths to prove that Jesus came from the house of David through the genealogy. We see in Luke chapter 1, verse 27, again, that Christ is going to come from the house of David. On and on we could go as we make these connection points and we see these references all through the Old Testament of exactly who Jesus Christ was going to be. But here's what I want you to see about the house and line of David. Here's what's just very, very interesting to me. We think about the genealogy of Jesus Christ and, and who Christ was, and we think about his ancestors, and we think about Abraham, and we think about Isaac, and we think about David, and we, we think about Solomon, and kind of the, the who's who of Bible Old Testament people, right? I mean, these guys did incredible things. They did incredible things for God. But here's the very interesting thing about the genealogy of Christ. While there were some very powerful and very well-known people, 
some very good, godly people in the genealogy of Jesus Christ, there were some really bad, wicked people as well. It's a fascinating study to read through. You should, if you have some time and you're interested, this may sound very boring to you, but it's kind of interesting. You should go back and read Matthew chapter 1. And then you should get a good concordance and you should look up those people and just read the stories. You can, you can account for every one of those people in the Old Testament. You can read their stories. There's more written about some than about others. But there are people within the genealogy of Christ that were selfish, that were liars, that were deceitful, that tricked those around them, that manipulated people. There were people that committed adultery. There were people that murdered. There were people that were harlots. On and on the list goes to this long list of sin of all the things of all these people did in the Old Testament. Here's the beautiful thing about it. Here's what I want you to understand. Christ uses everybody, right? It doesn't matter the mistakes we've made. It doesn't matter where we've been in our past. If we will accept Christ's forgiveness in our life, if we'll turn from our sins and turn to Him, we will be saved. So this is certainly a, a fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies. Incredible picture of the fulfillment of all Christ was going to be. But it's also a beautiful picture of Christ's love and Christ's acceptance to all who would believe. Let's, let's move on through this study of verse 28. Look at verse 28. So the angel went to her and said, and here's specifically what the angel is going to tell Mary, Greetings you who are highly favored, which is interesting. When God's going to use people in a powerful way, especially through the Old Testament, he goes to them and says, you're highly favored. Very interesting there. The Lord is with you. This is what the angel says to Mary. Now, verse 29. So Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus so we've already seen, number one, that this announcement is the fulfillment of thousands of years of prophecy. Number two, we're going to see that this announcement was a picture of salvation. This announcement is a picture of salvation. It's very interesting to me how the angel Gabriel speaks to Mary, and the first thing he says to Mary is, don't be afraid. You know, we, we have this tendency when we think about angels and, and how angels come in contact with human beings through Scripture, we have this tendency of, seeing angels in, in this light that may not entirely be accurate. You know, you go to these, these nativity scenes and you see the guy dressed up in the burlap sack, right? He's got a white burlap sack or a white robe. And he, he, he takes the, the gold pipe cleaners, you know what I'm talking about? And he makes a halo, right? And he, so he's wearing the gold pipe cleaner halo and he's got the long flowing robes. And they put this white light on him and, oh, you know, the angelic choir behind him, this beautiful picture. And that may be good for a live nativity. That's probably not the real idea of what an angel was because every time we read about an angel encountering a human being there's great fear because angels are incredibly powerful angelic beings and when the people would see that through these angels the glory of God and the magnificence of God Isaiah said woe am I I'm a man of unclean lips they could look upon his glory they couldn't look upon his power and his majesty. So the angel comes to Mary, and as is the case oftentimes, the first thing he says to her is, hey, don't be afraid, Mary. You found favor in the eyes of God. You know, I, I read this account, and I think about this announcement that Gabriel gave to Mary, and I think about so many people and how so many people in their lives wish that they could have something this clear in their life, right? They're like, God, I, you know, I've got this struggle. I'm, I'm not sure what I'm going to do about it. I'm not sure what direction to take. Lord, if you could just send an angel to me, 
Just send me an angel, Lord. Just send me an angel to give me a very clear picture of exactly what I should do, to make it obvious to me what I should do and where I should go. Just send an angel to me to give me that message or to tell me to do this or to do that. But here's what God says instead. Instead of sending an angel, I'm going to send you my word. See, God has given us his written revelation of who he is in our lives. And all we have to do is read it. I'll never forget when I was going through the process of, of, of kind of answering this call to ministry many years ago. I was, I was just struggling with it and praying through it. But I, I never sat down in my life ever one time and did this. I never had this thought. I, I think I want to be a pastor. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come up with the top ten things I need to do to become a pastor, right? So I'm just going to come up with this list, right? I'll check them off the list, and when I get to number ten, I'll be a pastor. I, I never said anything like that. I had no idea what God was calling me to do. I just sensed the calling in my life. And so you know what I did? Instead of just kind of banging him over the head, what do you want me to do? What's the answer? What's the answer? I just spent time praying. Lord, just guide me. I'm not sure exactly what it looks like, Lord. I'm not exactly sure what you want me to do, but I trust you, Lord. Just guide me. I spent time in his word. I, I was reading through the New Testament and just asking God to speak to me and, and, and to make his name known. I was just trying to get to know him more. And this incredible thing happened. As I was praying and seeking God and trying to get to know him better and kind of taking my eyes off what I wanted to do and the direction I wanted to go, God made his will clear to me. I think sometimes we want this revelation from God and this great angel and God said, you know what, I've given you my word. If you'll just read it, if you'll just study it, if you'll just spend time in prayer, then my will for your life will become clear. But I want you to notice what the angel says to Mary in verse 31, maybe the most profound part of this announcement, the most profound part of this message he says in Luke chapter 1. Verse 31, he says to Mary, You will be with child, and you will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. Now, we, we, we read this name Jesus, and we're familiar with it, right? We've heard it before. Been there, done that. That's kind of how a lot of us come to this passage of Scripture. Okay, what's next? What is verse 32? Say, but I want to stop for a second on the name Jesus. Because in Mary's context, in the original form of this word, that, that name Joshua in the Old Testament, Jesus, meant the Lord saves. And so for Mary, now I want you to understand this, who was a young Jewish girl who had grown up in a Jewish home, who had been taught the prophecies, who understood that one day the Messiah would arrive and would save the people from their sins, when this angel comes to her and says, Mary, you're going to have a child. And it's going to be a son. And you're going to name him Jesus. We may miss the significance of that announcement and that name, but Mary would not have missed it. We read the kind of similar account in Matthew chapter 1 where the angel goes to Joseph and the angel tells him that Mary's going to have a baby. And Matthew 1.21 says this, She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Now, this is, this is an incredibly important moment for us because this is the first New Testament announcement that Jesus will offer salvation. Now, we've seen it in the Old Testament. We saw it over and over and over again that, that he was going to come and save his people and offer salvation to all those to believe. But in the New Testament, in the context of the New Testament, this is the first announcement that Jesus is going to offer salvation. So I want, I want to pause just for a brief moment here, and I just want to remind you of something very clearly. If you have not repented of your sins, if you are in the sound of my voice right now and have not repented of your sins and have not turned to Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, the Bible teaches you will spend eternity separated from God in hell. You say, Adam, I'm not real comfortable with you saying that. I'm not real comfortable saying it either. But it's the truth of the Word of God. 
And I think as believers, sometimes we shy away from that because we don't want to offend people. We don't want to feel like we're excluding people. We, we don't want people to get upset with us. Well, you know what? If we let them die and go to hell, they're going to be pretty upset at that point. I promise you that. And God has given us a clear word of who he is. He's given us a clear word of exactly what he expects of us. And he tells us all through scripture, if we'll confess and believe, then we will be saved. Thank you for joining us for this podcast. We invite you to visit our campus at 3794 Hamilton Road in LaGrange, Georgia. Or visit us on the web at rosemontchurch.org. God bless you.